0: This week on Earn More Tutoring, Timothy Tiriaki and I talk about changing the meaning of leadership in the 21st century, staring at the sky in the middle of public, and how to approach someone you want to learn from.
1: I did grow up in my high school years with with anxiety. I've been bullied and uh, from an upper middle class family, we got bankrupt and, and going from like a private French high school to not having any money at all, where I had to go out and and sell stuff on the street. So it was, that was a hit in my high school years. And to deal with my anxiety, I turned to books and learning and how to survive in life. And, uh, but I also, to deal with my anxiety, I started reading the self-help books.
0: Welcome to Earn More Tutoring, the ultimate crowdsourced education entrepreneurship show. This week I speak with Timothy Tiriaki, Timothy is the founder of the Maslow Center for Executive Leadership, a coaching brand that consults and coaches for large-scale programs. Welcome to the show, Tim. Welcome. It's great to be here, Sean. Yeah. So just to get started, tell us about what you do.
1: Um, So in a nutshell, I'm the founder of Maslow Center for Executive Leadership, which is a a center focusing on on coaching executive leadership. Uh, And we're a center that has pillars of research, of, of certification programs and executive coaching, and we also run large-scale corporate projects focusing on culture transformation.
0: That's awesome. I love. I just love, you know, executive leadership, right? I always think about how they need the coaching the most, right? Because they, it's kind of probably a lonely place to be at the top of an organization, and so having someone to you know brainstorm ideas with to kind of help you self-evaluate and reflect on what you're doing has got to be such an essential um you know something that you need to invest in basically how did you get into this field
1: um it's it's a little bit of a squiggly line for sure so i'm one of those uh people who again some i, I admire that people have more of a linear path they knew what they would do in their high school years i was not one of those for sure it was a journey a journey of exploration of who am i what are my strengths? What is my purpose? And there was actually quite a lot of deliberate practice in that as well on reflecting uh, because some of the standard things were not fitting me in the way I wanted. So uh, maybe I'll give you the kind of the, the summary of my story and then we can dive into different pieces of it, whether it's from leadership or career choices or maybe finding my purpose. Um, so I have a background in engineering. I studied industrial engineering. And I knew quite early on that I was not going to be an engineer One of those moments, my moments of Satori, where I got that acknowledgement was I was in an exam of solving multiple pages of an equation. It was an optimization of an airport problem, planes, landing, devices, trucks, machines, number of people. And I barely passed that exam, not because I didn't know how to solve it. I was stuck on this idea of the people. Are the people happy? Are they fulfilled? I didn't have the language I have but now on. Was there was it a great workplace? Did they have high engagement? Like I know those terms, but I was like, are they happy and teamwork? Are they working together? Oh my god, people working together could be like such a big efficiency factor. Leadership. I was mind blown with this idea of if they're led well properly or not, and how much that could change the optimization of what we're trying to do on how many equipment we need and how the pieces would work together. Um, and so that was one of my moments where I know that as I was not going to be an engineer. I was a little too people-focused. Uh, as a people-focused person, I found myself going on tangents in sales. I worked in Procter & Gamble in sales. They told me that was one of the best schools to learn about business, learn about people skills. And uh, so that's where I started. I moved on to Intel Corporation to marketing. I was curious about strategy and brand. I worked there as a marketing manager and around that time, I started to notice that my passion was not about a brand, a company, a product, a service. It was about people. I was getting more articulate on, on that. I want to help people become their best selves. Again, through another decade of uh, tangent of human resources and training, leadership development, coaching, I got to synthesize and clarify my purpose that my archetype, my being, my strengths, I have a teacher and healer archetype what i love is i love supporting people to become their best selves and uh the the way that i was able to 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 do this best was as an executive and leadership coach
0: yeah talk about an executive challenge right trying to manage an airport <laughs> like just the idea of trying to uh coordinate planes landing and whatever service trucks and air traffic controllers like that is the most like if we're talking about an ex- a challenging executive situation um that's that's a big one But yeah, that's really interesting, right? That I love how you put it, Sartori. Could you define that for for the audience and for me?
1: (laughs) Sure. A Sartori is a concept, and I don't identify with Buddhism, but it's a Buddhist term. It's a glimpse into enlightenment. It's a glimpse into a a truth of a heightened state of awareness. Uh, But just that that, that moment, it's like a peak experience as Maslow, Abraham Maslow, uh, that we named our company after would call it as a peak experience of human awareness.
0: Yeah, no. That. Thank you for for sharing that. I had like kind of a glimmer or kind of a recollection, but I, I wanted I wanted the exact definition to confirm my understanding of it. And I love the Maslow. Uh, you know, I want to know more about it. I'd love to hear more about it. But I, when I think of Maslow, I think of that hierarchy of needs, of course. And it's like uh, it it, it makes perfect sense with coaching, right? Because we need to feel whole as a person to fulfill our life's purpose, right? So you have to like really like question, you know, like you did during that test. Am I, is this the path? You know, you want to be on, you know, isn't that, I guess to many people, that's what life is about is like purpose autonomy, you know, and I'm sure there's one more that you always hear purpose autonomy and and something else, but you got to fulfill those, those basic needs and then move towards, you know, the higher vision of what your life is. So tell us about that, you know, how you chose the name and also how does that inform what your business does?
1: Sure. And another one of the hats that I developed over the years was that um, I completed my master's a little later and I was encouraged to continue to my PhD while I was doing all of this work. So I'm actually currently a PhD candidate with 75-80% of it done, last 20%, which is a hard, but I'm pretty close to, to the finish line. And through my research, I, was, I, I am working on the idea of changing the leadership paradigm in the 21st century. Now, the way 20th century is different than 19th, obviously 21st century will be different than the previous one. And and one of the things, one of the ideas I fell in love with is that that we, we cannot operate with the same leadership principles as we did this last century. It has to change, it will change, it is changing. So there are different schools of thought on how it's changing. And one of them that I jump on board that I subscribe to is also this evolution of capitalism into conscious capitalism on, on, and there are, there, are The World Economic Forum pioneers that. There's the U.S. CEO Forum in 2019 that signed an agreement with 190 CEOs, sharing that this the purpose of an organization has changed. It's not just profit anymore. It's triple bottom line: people, planet, profit. It's expanding the definition of value of, uh, from shareholders to stakeholders. So, as part of this changing leadership paradigm that I'm studying and I'm trying to understand, how do we get executives to move, leaders to move? Towards that, that place of a more conscious, more humane leadership. Um, I kept referring back to Maslow's work. Now, obviously, we're all familiar with that, but I decided to take a deeper dive. So I read all of Maslow's published work. And the more I started reading about it, the more I was amazed by how he was a hundred years ahead of his time. And what he was envisioning was, was a lot of the problems we're facing today and the solutions he was offering on one of his books title Is The Farther Reaches of Human Nature. So in this era of artificial intelligence, machine learning, technology, digitalization, I think we need to focus on the farther reaches of human nature on who we can be cultivating our human abilities, uh, which which machines currently cannot replicate. And that is about self-actualization. So the word self-actualization, as Maslow coined the term, it's about realization of our potential. I have a different way of defining it, and my my simpler word self-actualization is about who you are who you're becoming, and who you can be. So it's that, that questioning of your North Star. So all these words around purpose, vision, values, strengths, it connects to that North Star. And that's what Maslow encouraged us to think about, that self-actualized place where you're becoming who you can be, which I, I found so many solutions. Now also as a practitioner, I started applying that in leadership coaching and executive coaching and leadership development and I'm And I was like, wow, this is resonating. This is working. This is impactful. So I decided to take on that quest on reigniting Maslow's work in the 21st century uh, as a starting point. We've built on that. We've continued the research. We've added layers to that. We brought Maslow's work into organizational culture and institutions, like under this this large institutions, enterprises, uh, and and then organization having its own culture how do human needs show up? What do we need as human beings in this, this COVID, post-COVID era? So we're researching that, we're practicing that, but this is kind of weaving in all of the story of Maslow and how it relates to Maslow's center in our work.
0: I always love, you know, I always appreciate, love, I'm going to just keep saying it, um, the idea of of having such a big vision. You know, I think you have to think big and you have to kind of like have a vision of change that's bigger than your Maybe even your life. I, I tell people that like, if your vision can be accomplished in your life, it might not be big enough. So that is such a powerful idea to put out there and just keep like, I just think I also believe in speaking things to existence, right? So if you say it, it's going to happen, you know, abracadabra, as they say. Uh, so wow. Um, and what I'm, what I'm wondering about is, you know, I know the idea of business is to be profitable, right? You know, to some degree, or that's what you're working away from. Not completely, of course, you know, it's going to still one of the underlying principles, but how do you get executives, businesses to, to buy into this, you know, cause it's, it's obviously counterintuitive, I guess, to how we've been thinking about business, which is like increased profit, you know, like you said, go from shareholders to stakeholders. How do you, how do you get people to realize that that that's in their best interest for the sustainability of them and the planet?
1: Well, first of all, I love your point on the abracadabra. Now, when I had a chance to take a few courses and study First Nations indigenous ways of learning, knowing and being, I was mind blown by how progressive it was, how deep it was, how, how humane it was. And a fun fact, Maslow, actually, Abraham Maslow spent, I believe, eight to nine months uh, as a duration, as part of an anthropology course he was taking in his master's program uh, visiting the Blackfoot people in today's Alberta, Canada, and 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 studying their ways of being, which uh, in his notes he does quote that he was inspired by the idea of self-actualization through the First Nations people, and they talk about how like one of like the key elements for them is air, and air and breath is is what they they, they symbolize. Breath as air, getting giving life, fueling life. For human beings and all existence and animals and and, and like giving voice, So, long story short, giving voice to your ideas, it creates magic, it makes it, you get in touch with life itself. So that's why you're you're, you're right, your abracadabra, your enchantments, your inventing is is making it reality. That's a great point. And that's something I have been using consciously as well, Uh, verbalizing, vocalizing, giving voice to vision and thoughts and purpose. So that was a great point. Um, and how this connects to the executives? Wow, and that is the challenge I am taking on. That is a challenge, a mission I've taken on. And and by the way, there are several research that shows the benefits of investing in your people in building high engagement organizations. Quick sources, Gallup, Gallup's books and research on Q12 survey, and their most recent two books. One is that it's the Manager 2019. Uh, Well-Being at Work just published two weeks ago. It's full of data on on the benefits, the ROI of having high engagement, high trust, having great managers, having a people-focused culture. So that's a great question on how do you influence, persuade executives that building a people-focused organization and a culture is useful, beneficial. And of course, that that key term on, it does have an impact. Is there an ROI in this? Now, here's the good news. We have several studies that measure and demonstrate that correlates employee engagement, high trust, uh, uh, with, with several KPIs of even stock market returns of companies. Like one organization I've been part of is a great place to work, Inc., which is a culture consulting company. They do the Fortune 100 Best Workplaces list. And in the studies we had there was that when you compare that Fortune 100 Best Workplaces list companies, which are which are based on the trust index survey, so it's employees' voice, it's not HR doing a write-up, it's like actually people voting in their annual surveys, those high scores, those organizations outperform competitors and market indices and stock market returns. CFOs love those slides. Uh, So suggestion to everyone listening to this podcast, like if I were you, I would work for an organization that's committed to becoming a great workplace, that's people-focused, and if they're not, I wouldn't work. I, I know it's not as easy to say that, but I've been committed since I got to learn that ecosystem that I want to be part of organizations and work with leaders that want to humanize the workplace. So that's my kind of purpose, humanizing leadership and organizations. So we have research, we have data that shows that. Uh, and, and, and um, besides that, there's an increasing acknowledgement that the competitive advantage of the 21st century is no longer products and services, but it's people, culture and technology. So this focus from, Let's have the best product and service in the world, which is still a dominant paradigm. There is this shift towards let's bring together the right people, the best people possible, build a great workplace culture, enable them with the right technology. They will figure out the products and services. Um, So for the leaders of the world today, there is this increasing expectation to fine tune up uh, their people and culture and technology knowledge. Of course, it's not the dominant paradigm yet, but that's what we're like seriously moving towards.
0: Yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense, right? Happy employees, uh, trusting them. And, you know, in, I do, I was a former teacher, run a business now focused on executive function. And it's like when you empower people. To be, you know, of course you're working with the executives, but you know, I know you may be working with lower levels of leadership too, but you want to make people executives of their own projects, right? If they don't believe in themselves, if they're not empowered within this within the umbrella of the company, then how can they really drive it forward in the best possible way? Um, which is, I'm sure, a challenging dance to facilitate. Um, but wow, so that that is just, a, it's just such a great, you know, it it, it must feel so empowering for you to be changing the world in the direction, you know, and influencing these people, you know, because we know that, you know, as much as the government influences the world or whatever it may be, private corporations, private companies do as much. I don't even know how you would measure who does more to influence the world, but they do a lot, right? So what is that, you know, I actually want to take a little bit back and ask, so you were telling me that you were working for these different businesses and different capacities, how did you make the leap to executive coaching?
1: And you're definitely spot on in terms of some of the large corporations. They're larger than several countries in the world. Like their, 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 their scale, their revenues are larger than GDPs of several countries. So in that sense, it is one of the key places to influence in the world. And uh, I did my master's in education consciously. I didn't do an MBA. I did in the faculty of education. Because I've noticed my teacher colleagues, their their level of humanness, of ability to attune, build rapport, like what I saw there as human capacity, was was so mind blowing that that's where I wanted to cultivate and bring me back into the leadership world, executive world. So that's why, like I I have such a big respect for my teacher colleagues or those that are coming from that that, that background, uh, because we need to learn from the, the the teachers and bring that humanness into the executive world, um, and I. What I'm noticing, some of my teacher colleagues doing for the younger generation, for the future of the world, I so appreciate that. But I have some burning concerns on that. If we don't influence leadership for the coming ten to thirty years, like the youth are going to be even further in problems. So that's my my, my mandate. My purpose is like let's work on. The, I'll work on the people in power now and help those that are like closest to power, so we get those more conscious leaders in place. Uh, now, how I got to chose executive coaching? Well, definitely the the executive coaching was an evolution of me working in coaching or noticing that coaching is a field. Um, What I found is it first started with leadership development. And as I'm passionate with learning myself, learning curiosity, uh, uh, those those are things I really praise and and have values for lifelong learning as well. Um, So I first went into leadership development. I really enjoyed the concept. I was one of those that would like transform going through any one or two day program I could find. And I've been through probably so many of those mini programs myself. Uh, and I noticed that, that there is these programs can have a big influence. But then I got to curious, why do some have more, some don't have as much? Or why do some people are transformed more or not? So I was interested with the idea of transformation and hence the adult education realm and and andragogy and transformative learning etc but I noticed one thing that still in executive environments or like senior environments uh, in in group trainings and leadership training programs you still have people still have masks on there's still power politics and ranks in a cohort of leaders whether in the same company even more different companies even there's company representation to show up so I noticed that This is a little bit of a sharp statement, I know, know, but leadership development without coaching was entertainment. It was some time off from work for others. So what what is the form that I could really get genuine and talk the truth, the reality with with leaders? And I found that to be coaching. So I started learning about coaching, started practicing coaching. And I noticed that having this one-on-one genuine conversation was an opportunity, not with all leaders, not everyone would open up, not everyone would get vulnerable, but those that could do that, I was bang on. That's, those are the people I want to work with. Those are the people that I want to support and, and spend my life together with. So coaching become that, that empowering power. Now, over the last 10 years, um, I, in, I invested in myself. I completed six different certificate programs from all around the world, completed all the badges, certificates to be able to do that, and actually got a point where I synthesized how to do like accelerated learning for coach education and what's working, what's not working in these programs and I got to synthesize this, this experience, this learning experience, uh, uh, the knowledge, the theory, the practice, and the being an implementer as well. And, and, and we've created one of the best coaching certificate programs in the world. And participants are managers and up mostly director level participants and VPs. And we have some CHROs, chief operating officers, even coming and joining to learn to become a coach leader themselves to be able to go back and coach their people in their organizations um, so it was an evolution a uh, long story short it was an evolution from leadership development to one-on-one coaching leadership coaching organizational and then wow i can influence people i can influence executives it was a journey over yeah 13 15 years
0: how um how did you get your first client? You know, once you had really absorbed all the knowledge and, or, you know, a great deal of knowledge and the things that you felt you needed to, to effectively coach executives, how did, you, how did you get your first client?
1: That is a very good question, which I don't know the answer. I, I can't recall that. Probably would have been nice to be able to honor that. Uh, but I have to admit in the beginning of my journey as a solopreneur when it started back, it was a lot of um, it was a lot of uh, free services of speaking, of visiting different places, and offering some free one-on-ones, free first sessions. So a lot of freebies down the road to gain influence, meet people, and add value. I always believed in offering high value. So one thing that helped me kind of accelerate my individual practice and move up to build a corporate practice was that focus on. On, on adding as much as value possible. So in any session, how can I provide the most value in a post session? So I find this now there's a new, the language is now clear on this. It's called the experience continuum, right? The, the best learning experience, best client experience, blood, best employee experience. So this word experience, which they use as LX, EX, CX, that X continuum, it's, it's about a really good skill of, of understanding human needs. And I, it's it's applied empathy, like really, me understanding what you need and then then helping you on that. So it was cultivating those soft skills. I think soft skills are really actually hard skills, although they're called soft skills. I think they're really tough to implement. But that's one thing I've been like laser focused on while I was cultivating some technical skills. Uh, but actual practice of those 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 soft skills have really paid off in my life.
0: How did you? define what was high value? Because I'm sure it changes for each organization to some degree. I mean, I'm sure there's guiding principles, but when you decided to start offering um, freebies or kind of providing value, how did you determine that and then make a targeted um, kind of pitch, I guess, or approach to those people that you were like, I want to work with them. I want to help them. I want to help shape, you know, what they're doing because, obviously it's part of your journey, right? Is to like positively impact these companies or executives. So how did you decide or determine what's, what was high value to them?
1: I would say, I I think I'm creating, I'm tapping into a synthesis and I don't have a better word for that. I think you use it very well, a synthesis of my own passion, what I'm interested in and, and, but also uh, learning about the other person. So there's something about me tapping into my passion but also tapping into the other person's passion and looking for that intersection. And that's what resonated with coaching as well, because you get to ask a lot of questions in coaching. Uh, it's not just questions, but I would say a big part of it is questions. And, and I love learning, learning about people, learning about anything, learning about their lives, their passions, their dreams, their goals, companies. When I get to meet that, like for me, a sales process, people call it sales. For me, it's learning process. So, so my approach to scoping a large project, working with an executive, it's, it's just understanding, listening, understanding, and asking questions, uh, which so far ha- helped a lot, I would say. Um, and and any, anything I've done, like just going back, one more thing I might mention. So I'm originally, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, of Turkish and, and Greek origin, Jeans Wilds. I live most of my life in Istanbul, Turkey. And I have four nationally published books in Turkish. It was part of my journey of exploring who am I and researching these topics. And, and, and my first book that I wrote before I wrote it, it was, uh, I was like writing deleted. I wanted to write a book, but I was really stuck. And then like, how do you write a book? So I, I reached out to my network of friends, I tapped into my parents' network. And I asked, like, is there, does anyone know any authors or like uh, 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 owners of, of, of a book house, of a publishing company? And I found that one of them from a family network that there was the owner of a publishing company, although they were in fiction novels, they were quite a large one. So I, I tried, chased the owner of that to have a coffee meeting. And after a couple months, I was able to uh, get a coffee meeting with him. And I met and I asked him questions. And my like, question was, how do writers write their books? What are you noticing? Are there any common themes, behaviors, patterns there? And he did actually, and I'm more than welcome to share that. It's it's like him who said, writers never write with the editor's mindset. I told him about my my fatigue of writing, deleting, writing, deleting, not liking and, and rearranging. he's like, You can't write like that. Like a writer just like just writes stuff out. You have 200 pages in bad formats, and but then you have a great editor to help you pull it together. I was like, wow, that was a priceless insight, helping me write four books. Another one was that. Uh, most of the authors, they don't write on like scheduled times. Every day I will write between 9 to 11. It doesn't work that way. You need to find your inspiration times and just like like carve out some time, whether it's like three months, six months, one year, like whatever you can afford, but you carve out time. Uh, it's not like a work-like project. I love learning. I ask people, I ask people and I learn, and and that helped me to accelerate my learning ability and then go and implement with the things I'm learning and collecting from everyone.
0: That's a, you know, I think for everybody out there too, people listening, like go find the people that inspire you or that you feel have questions that could be answered or, you know, have answers, sorry, to your questions and talk to them. Like it's going to be hard, right? It's not always easy to, to, um, to get someone to speak with you. Like you said, it took months to, uh, to get this guy to have coffee with you, but sounds like it was worth it. Like he gave you multiple Sartori. It sounds like, or you had multiple of those, those revelations. So.
1: Exactly. Well, I'm really, I'm really jealous of podcast owners because I love the work you're doing and, and really look forward to one day starting one, hopefully. And, and yeah, back then we didn't have the podcast that I could listen and get inspired. So we had had to, call people and try to book the meetings. But luckily these days they can just listen to this podcast and, and yeah, catch all these insights. Right. So
0: Tim, what I'm wondering from you is it just feels like you are so purpose-driven, like you keep honing in, like you, like you described self-actualizing. How do you, um, you know, I think a challenge for a lot of people is that they have so many good ideas and they don't know how to pursue one of them. How did you decide what the best idea to pursue, like executive coaching, right? Like I'm sure you could have been you know, engineering airports like you described, or you could have been, you know, the master salesman of of Procter and Gamble or or whatever organizations you're working for. How did you hone in on this one pathway and let go of everything else to some degree?
1: So I've growing up, I I, I had I, I was an anxious kid. I had anxiety. Probably these days I would have been diagnosed with something I don't know what, but I did grow up in my high school years with 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 anxiety. I've been bullied and. Uh, from an upper middle class family, we got bankrupt and and going from like a private French high school to not having any money at all, where I had to go out and and sell stuff on the street. So it was that was a hit in my high school years. And to deal with my anxiety, I turned to books and learning and how to survive in life. And uh, but I also to deal with my anxiety, I started reading the self help books and uh, forms of Meditation and contemplation came in. I can openly share up front, like I'm not part of a clan or group. It was never for me. Like a, a, it wasn't from a belonging place. It was about like I, I need to feel okay with myself. So it was a practice. But over years of practicing, again, the curiosity, lifelong learning, I, I learned about variety of types of meditations and contemplations, religious, philosophical, just visualizations, and they early on really helped me. Concerning my university life from increasing my grades. Like literally my my GPA university first to eighth term constantly went up because I was meditating and I was exploring meditation was growing my cognitive capabilities. But here's the interesting fact. It wasn't just cognitive capabilities, something else, my heart, spiritual, whatever you want to call those capabilities, my emotional intelligence, it got accelerated. So I think that was one of the things that was, helping me listening, not just outside voices, but like inside voice thinking. And later on, and as I was doing the studies in my master's and looking into how adults learn and transform and the theories of adult learning, like adults, we cannot grow and change without reflection. So we need reflection. And some of that reflection is deeper reflection. So I call contemplation, which means looking within as a deeper form of reflection. So having meditated since I'm like 17 years old helped me sharpen a lot of those skills. I was I, It was easier for me to like try sales two, three years. Oh, not this. Let me try marketing two, three years. Oh, not this. So like I could feel I was attuned in that process of sharpening. Um, so so I think it's a great, I've been on retreats, like three, four day meditation retreats where when I would come out of them, I would have a vision. like I'm going to develop a training program i would go in a few days of retreat and then come back i'm going to write this book so those kind of turn within and then go out was was a movement of balancing external internal uh, and i think that's what helped me to clarify my purpose at a relatively younger age than many
0: thank you so much for sharing that because i'm going through uh and i wonder what that process is called you know kind of like a turning inward but not in a negative way like i'm you know every guest on this show Has basically echoed the same thing, particularly the really, the guests who have really like sent out a message to the world. Um, Like I had another guest, uh, Kat Norton, who she goes by Miss Excel and she has 400,000 followers on TikTok, but she created a course on how to do Excel. And she, you know, we were talking about like, how did you get there? And she said, well, I just started like meditating, doing Bikram yoga, doing like, you know, basically doing inner child work to like tap into what feels good, figuring out what like makes me happy and then like focusing on that and meditating. And she was like, it came to me. She was like, I re- I had a vision where I was like, this is what I need to do. If I take these steps, I'm going to have a multi million dollar business. And she's on, she's on the way. You know, I mean, she's, she's doing it. And, you know, like you're sharing too, you know, going through that process, like meditating, like I love how you put expanding my cognitive capabilities, like also waking up your emotions how powerful, like, and I I want to do more of that. And it kind of brings me to this question, which is what are the daily habits? Could you walk us through some of the key habits to maintaining that type of lifestyle? Like, do you wake up and meditate for five minutes and like, you know, tell us about kind of some of your daily habits that keep you in tune with your vision.
1: And going back to your point on turning within, not being bad. So I have a distinction of wording on that. So if we call reflection, the main word reflection Uh, rumination as a counseling term rumination is like a downward spiraling potential like you might so as as a term it's it's, that's how it's used So, rumination is being stuck in a bad way inside or uh, whereas reflection can be used as a positive upward spiral of of growth and awareness consciousness as well Um, in terms of lifestyle now here's the funny part so uh, until I got married and, and had our, our wonderful son, which I'm blessed, privileged to have a healthy child. But until before that, my life was way more disciplined in terms of practice and rituals and approach to life. And I have to say, I've, I've, I'm still capitalizing on, on some of the inner cap- capacities I built over uh, 15 years before getting married. So, uh, so those 10, 15 years where I meditated I had built a capacity where I could sit an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, started with like five, 10 minutes of pieces. But then over like 10 years, I could sit two hours per day in meditation, just in silence. I've regressed since in terms of like daily practice, but I've kept that kind of attunement, that fine nuance of people dynamics and my own inner voice. Um, So I'm noticing that, that, that again, I do feel the need to go back and start rebuilding that. But in terms of I have, I'll just show you my tinga bells actually right here. I have my little tinga bells, which I'm not sure how the sound will. I hope it doesn't torture anyone listening, but I just getting a little sound there. And so I have my moments where I squeeze in within the day. I call them moments. My practice is a moment of silence, a moment of reflection, a moment of embodiment, a moment of stretching. So that lifts the idea of having a bigger, like just a moment. I just need a moment. Uh, a moment of, of looking to the tree. And, and uh, when I, I go to walks within the day, I have my moments of staring to the sky. It's probably a little bit odd if someone sees me around. I know I used to first feel weird. Now I'm, I'm not. Pr- I'm just actually proud about it. I just close my eyes, look up to the sun. and I just stay like that for a few minutes. I don't mind if people are passing around me or not. Um, so those moments are now my new type of meditation. And I see
0: you smiling right now, which just tells me, those are really special moments for you, you know, to really just take in the sun. You know, yeah, there's a scene in Star Wars, like one of the newer ones, where uh, it was, I guess, a young Darth Vader before he turned, but he was, like, standing there, like, on a balcony with his, like, you know, kind of legs kind of spread, you know, spread, and his hands behind his back just, like, staring out into a big, like, expanse. And I don't know why that that moment just stuck with me. I was like, yeah, that's that's how I should start every day. Just, like, look at a great view and just breathe. Um, But it sounds like you incorporate those, right? And you know, me being a father of a two-year-old, and you know, you have a child and a family. It's like, yeah, you can't, you don't always have time to, you know, you know, spend your hour in the morning and spend your hour in the evening. But you got to find those moments, right? You know, because it's like life, life changes and that's what it's about, right? Being flexible. Like, and it's kind of like go, goes into your bigger vision, right? It's like, you're trying to teach or coach executives on how to be more flexible with their thinking. Like it's not just profits. It's also like the planet, you know, it's also, what were the three P's again, planet, planet profits,
1: uh, people, planet, and profit. So a nice way of remembering that is so value equation is expanded. One is economic value. That's profit. One is social value, which is people. And one is ecological value, which is the planet.
0: Tell us about, I just feel like your visuals, like your appearance, your background, like it feels very tuned, you know, and and expressive, you know, uh, of um, leadership and organization. Could you talk to us about optics and and the importance of that?
1: Sure. I'm really happy you noticed that I am a very visual person. I think in visuals, uh, I love mind maps. I have my whiteboard here right next to me. I actually found really like low-cost whiteboard stickers on Amazon where you can create your whiteboards all around as much as you want. So I love visualizing and, and drawing. And uh, we've also incorporated that in our work, in our corporate work, in our brand, in our webpage, in our social media posts, that we we create models, we create thought leadership, which are also connected to the visuals. And just give to give one example and help any listeners visualizing, um, Many of you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a triangle format. Now, fun fact, Maslow never envisioned that to be in a triangle format himself. It was another organizational uh, psychologist in 1960 that put it in that triangle, and then Maslow didn't object to it. But uh, as as I read through and envisioned for the 21st century, I I saw that concentric circles are actually a way better representation of that hierarchy of needs, because a few things. Number one. It it, it demonstrates an expansion, a growth in awareness. It also reminds us of moving out of our comfort zone, of not just meeting our basic needs, but just reaching beyond the basic needs uh, to that North Star place. So all these, these visual symbolism brings a lot of meaning. And we also talk about the triangle being the representation of the 20th century, the previous paradigm of being more command control focused leadership and 21st century being more concentric circles, more interrelated, interrelated humans, earth, planet, nations, countries together. And we've saw with COVID on how interrelated we are actually, that it's not just me becoming self-actualized and moving at the top of my triangle. It's actually us moving towards that together. So the visuals are really uh, important for me and it, it explains a lot.
0: It's funny that you mentioned the concentric circles because I was giving a presentation before this on my on my coaching work for, you know, for youth and I was talking about the zones of proximal development and you know it's like the center circle is where you're at the larger circle is like where you could be with a little bit of guidance and then the farther out circle is like an, a a place that you can't reach right now you may eventually reach it but like you really have to focus on that next concentric circle or that circle outside of your comfort zone and it's such a the visual is you just kind of need the visual to explain the concept It helps like I guess create a paradigm um and that, so that's that's really good to know that that's a, a big part of the way you express and communicate to your to your um your clients and your team uh I'm wondering tell us about what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your business
1: the biggest challenge I'm facing in the business is and here's the good news it's not Capital, we have an angel investor that believes in our vision and supporting us. And I've established a great team of world-class coaches that that support this vision. It's actually about figuring, and it's not even that COVID is, is affecting workplaces. Here's the good news. Many large organizations are actually acknowledging more and more how if they're not attuned to their people, they're not going to be able to function properly. So actually our work has really resonated in this COVID era and how we all fell down to the basic needs as humanity, like organizations, individuals, we all fell down, like, like toilet paper and Wi-Fi being basic needs as a meme spreading. Like that was a reality, right? So our work resonated. But the challenge for us is figuring out the digital work, uh, the digital marketing side of things on how do you, reach the right audience on digital marketing. So these channels and what's the best way. And now that everyone is focusing on that with, uh, with, with the COVID era. So so how do we reach the right people and spread our message? And hence we appreciate all these podcast interviews and, and, and collaborations and partnerships. So that's what we're dealing with. Like what's the social marketing and digital marketing equation we need to solve to become a global thought leader organization. To spread this vision, we have uh, to change the leadership paradigm. or contribute. We're not the only one. There are several other organizations, and we believe we all need to support each other to spread this message out.
0: Do you attribute your your success to luck or hard work, and why? You know what? What? How do you attribute your success?
1: I believe in both factors. Uh, I definitely believe in both factors. But just to let you know, like the amount of. Trial and error has gone through this, and these podcasts. It's a little bit like social media. We get to show off the best points of everything that came to fruition. Uh, but another, maybe another lens of that are the failures, the learnings, the tough nights, all the pain and anxiety that comes with it. So a lot of those happen. It was, uh, but I can tell you that 13 years ago, in my journal, I've I've actually written like 20 pages on the future school of leadership that I was envisioning. And this global, so so it's been in the makings of, so Maslow Center got launched uh, one year ago in the middle of COVID, right before COVID we launched it. There was a few years of pilot programs before that. So like two, three years of work, but before that 13, 14 years of thinking about it and me changing jobs, I changed continents, countries, states, cities, jobs, a few jobs in that that, that process I got to lost. I, I lost both of my parents. I got married. I became a father. Like the last 10, 15 years of the making of this is was so delightful, but also painful. As Buddha says, there is suffering in life. Buddha didn't say there's no joy in life. He said, like, there is suffering in life, FYI. I'm like, yeah. So there's been suffering. But I think one thing I'm blessed that my parents taught me that I could learn from anything. So I think the gift that I'm, I maybe can, can offer and maybe hand over a remind is that my, my, I grew up with my father mentioning a lot, uh, like you can learn from life living or you can learn from others as well and you would save yourself some pain and suffering. So I think he was trying to make me listen to him more. So I think he had an agenda while saying that. But he was like, he would say this and he would say, I'll, I'll tell my part and you decide if you want it or not. But he would say, like, the smart people can learn from others. I think those like parents, the parents affirmations do stick, which helped me become a lifelong learner and ability to learn from anyone. So all the suffering, the losses, the learnings, the, the trials and a few times that didn't work out. But then I found came to a place I never gave up and then found the right people, the right fertile ground the right investors the right partners like and then stars were aligned eventually so 13 years in the making of
0: yeah that's that's a really um important point and i'm i'm like your number one fan in terms of that idea that you can learn from others and uh their experience you know i think there's a quote i've heard it's like the 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 error in the human experience is that we can't learn from others experiences but we can but you know the, the people who don't um if you if you have to experience it yourself then you're going to experience a lot of heartbreak that you might not have had to experience so i really 100% believe in that like try to learn from others you know it's hard at times you know if you haven't felt or experienced something but the more you can i guess imagine and like you, you, you said something about empathy, like radical empathy. I can't remember the word used, but really trying to empathize with others will help you on your journey. So I've got a few rapid fire questions. I call it the hot seat. Are you up for that?
1: Sure. I love those.
0: Okay. Uh, so first, Apple or Android? Uh,
1: Android. Previously Apple, currently Android. Favorite book? I'm going to have to give two. One is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And another one is Mandino's The Greatest Salesman in the World.
0: Favorite movie?
1: Uh, Inception. Favorite apps? I have to admit, it's probably LinkedIn. That's where I consume a lot of my news as well while socializing professionally and personally. So yeah, LinkedIn.
0: Do you believe in aliens? Why or why not?
1: I believe that well straight answer yes uh, i believe that we cannot be the only planet with life on it and i love those videos where you just like zoom out there's a mini on youtube like layers of light like so the world becomes that smallest point then you're just seeing everything shrink and go and in milky way and the galaxies and andromeda and all of that and many of them so many of them there's like billions and billions like even if it's like One in a trillion, trillion chance, there are more planets than that still. So there has to be life elsewhere, whether they're intelligent or not. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I I love those videos too. And this is the question that always hits me. It's like, all right, when you're watching one of those videos and it it keeps going out and out and out, you're like, where does it end? Like, is there an edge to the universe or like, does it come back or like, but what's outside of that then? You know, I don't know. It's just like, it's beyond my little brain um, to, to really understand. Best album.
1: Oh, I am a 80s alternative rock fan. So The Cure, uh, U2, you can name any album of The Cure and U2 and I would go for it.
0: Ideal vacation spot?
1: Um, Definitely. I am a a beach person um, and not because of the luxury, but because of water is my element, especially if it's a nice sea, I can. uh, so, So Mediterranean beach.
0: Best Amazon purchase in the last six months.
1: John Gray, Straw Dogs, which talks about, which questions a, a dominant paradigm of human beings being superior than animals and earth and nature, and that everything was made for humans to consume. It's a great phlo- modern philosophy book questioning our full assumptions.
0: Self care activity of choice. <laughs>
1: meditate any type of meditation silence uh yeah definitely moment of silence preferably in nature
0: if a book was written about your life what would the title be
1: well actually the, the the title of my first book that i wrote was called uh becoming a buddha or a ceo and i think that's still valid for me that's probably the story of my life and that is what's the synthesis of living a peaceful, enlightened life with a successful uh, uh, achievement life? Like, is it an either, or, or is there a synthesis? It's something around those lines.
0: <laughs> Tim, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. I feel like I've had a lot of sartori that I want to go back and just like keep reliving and keep exploring further. If people want to follow you, find out more about your work, how can they do that?
1: Well, the best way would be to have a look at MaslowLeadership.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. I am quite active on LinkedIn. Would love to connect with anyone interested in these topics. And Sean, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your humble questions. And I really enjoyed our conversation. is a great podcast. Wishing you all the best.
0: Do you want a copy of the book I most credit with helping me earn more tutoring? It's called Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. And I'm giving away a free copy each week to a lucky listener. All you need to do is leave a review of the podcast, take a screenshot and send me your review to info at earnmoretutoring.com with your address. I'll randomly select a winner each week and send you a copy of this book. I hope you got value from today's episode. If you do one thing, leave that rating and review and crush that subscribe button. New episodes will be posted on Sundays. This show is written by Sean McCormick. The show is produced by Casey Sticker and Sean McCormick. Music production is by Casey Sticker. Our marketing and management is run by Maya Pugach. To learn more, go to earnmoretutoring.com.